Welcome to the Seeds on Ground podcast. This is Jacob Clodfelter, and we have Evan McCullough with us here, and Daryl Cleary. Daryl Cleary. Yeah. So for for those for, just for some background, uh, Daryl is my uncle, Evan McCullough, um, and you know. As a child, I was always interested in animals and biology and stuff. And, you know, every Christmas, my Uncle Daryl would, would give me a book or some sort of toy related to that sort of subject. It, it was nice to have, um, he was kind of my influence in that way a lot. Um, and he happens to also really be into sustainability. So, you know, every, every time um, we have a family reunion or... Christmas dinner or whatever, my Uncle Daryl and I will, will get together and talk about electric cars and solar energy, um, which is really refreshing when, uh, you know, a lot of other people don't don't care too much about that. Um, so, Daryl, so you are in the in the works of, of building a sustainable home, right? Correct. The most sustainable home around for sure. Awesome. Now, um, why, why do you say most sustainable? Well, um, we know people that do this or do that, do a few things. We're going to bring it all together with the latest technology. And um, I even forced the city to make some permits for some of the things I'm going to do for the first time ever. So uh, it uh, has not been done the way I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. What, what, like what, what, what things haven't been done? Well, um, for example, the roof-mounted wind turbines, low-speed wind turbines. You know, this area is not really known for having sustainable winds. And so, therefore, people will say, well, it's not the right uh, place for wind turbines. But if you don't make them your primary source, you make them in addition to your solar panels, then uh, they will certainly contribute. And we get a lot of gusty wind around here. So um, solar panels, uh, of course, will be 80% and wind turbines will make about 20% of the energy. Uh, we're also going to have uh, battery storage, of course, uh, most likely lithium ion, uh, about the size of a medicine cabinet to power our entire house. Um, we also have two 100% electric vehicles. Uh, we've been driving electric since my first uh, 2008 uh, 100% electric vehicle. And uh, we are going to build a passive house, which, for example, the exterior walls will be like about a foot thick. Um, with a two by six, two by four stud with a gap in between, and it'll be so well insulated with uh, windows on the south and the uh, west sides, so that it, we can also let in the uh, sun when we want to warm the place in the winter with the sun. But uh, all in all, it's going to be uh, everything together on one. We're actually uh, going to be the first um, in the city here to not connect to LG&E at all, so we don't want to pay penalties for not using them. So we're not going to connect at all, and I expect a fight from the uh, local utilities on that. But uh, Yeah, so there no other houses have done that? Have been off it's grid? actually considered illegal to go off the grid in the city. The, uh, the code enforcement inspectors have uh, told me that I can't do that, that that's illegal. And I said, well... Um, you know, it's actually illegal to not have heat, but uh, it doesn't say that you can't produce your own power, that you have to be like paying a monopoly that controls the area. So we're going to uh, do, we're going to be the first and we'll probably have a legal battle on our hands. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. So my question here would be in going about these alternative solutions, what is your process for addressing the codes and city regulations that you have to contend against? Well, the building will be up to code. It will be inspected. It will pass. The only question is whether or not we can get a certificate of occupancy um, because we won't be connected to the grid. So the power company has more uh, power than you think, and uh, they will step in and say, um, no, no, you have to be connected. And I'm going to say, show me that ordinance uh, because I know all the ordinances. Uh, I've worked in that field as an inspector and uh, I, there is no ordinance that says that. So um, they can take me to court. My wife works in the legal uh, department and 
Um, I've been a building inspector, so they're going to have a tough time. And you can be sure that I'm going to tell everyone how to do it after I do it. Yeah, you have an interesting perspective as someone who who works for the city, right? Right. Interesting. Um, now, was there now as long as I can remember, you've been on this path. Was there any like revelations or moments along the way when you were younger that made you think this is what you wanted to do? Well, I was actually always ahead of my time, and um, I bored a lot of my friends. And a lot of them didn't really know what to talk to me about. And so like um, I had an aquarium store um, and uh, I insisted on um, breeding all of my own fish because I was upset they were capturing them in the wild at that time. Now they just breed them in Florida in massive ponds and they ship them you know, all across the U.S. But at the time they were just uh, catching them all. So whether they were saltwater, they were freshwater, they were catching them all. So I said, I'm going to breed all my own fish. I'm going to have uh, customers that buy breeding pairs and breed them. And then I'm going to buy exclusively from them instead of from the typical places that catch them. So, um, but having been raised on a farm, uh, I already knew how to uh, basically make my own and uh, not have to uh, destroy nature to do it. So it really started uh, right away with me. I was in- instantly more aware than uh, any of my siblings or any of my other family members about uh, the environment and and really cared about it. Yeah, yeah, I've been lucky to to meet a, a few people, Jacob included, of course. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this podcast that I can talk to about it because, you know, most people definitely don't want to talk about it. I think the um, the narrative is changing a little bit. I've been listening to lots of podcasts that speak of the new generation following these methodologies. And really the, the nature of this podcast here is to leverage the experience of people who know how to manage these sustainable systems. And we're very young, and I think there's a lot of people that are looking for an answer. And in that way, I think it's very encouraging Whereas maybe you didn't have someone to talk to or in that time you were very ahead of your time. I think now is the time and I think we're in it. Yeah, up until this point, I have helped hundreds and thousands even of people um, with whatever uh, level of this they want to get into. And um, I have to admit that it's been hard for me to find a source that can help me. Um, I'm not saying that I know it all um, because you never know it all, but it's it's the level that I'm at. It's really hard to find anybody who, uh, you know, is into it that much. And basically, it, it, everybody who cares, if you have a heart and you care at all, then these are the kinds of things that you will uh, be concerned about. Well, the legal issue that we were talking about is, I don't want to underestimate that because, you know, I think more people, I think a lot of people have the idea if they're trying to save money, like, oh, like, you know, solar power off grid and they find out it's illegal and they just give up. And, um, and there's a, I mean, I know another great example of this is tiny homes. People want to live in smaller houses, but you can only have, according to, you know, legislation, your house has to be a certain square footage or otherwise you can't live right. in it. And how, you know, why is it the government's responsibility to tell me how big my house needs to be? Well, that's mostly neighborhood associations, um, which, um, they tend to be people who don't want any change. Everything needs to be the way it always was. And um, so, you know, the the minimum square footage thing is um, really ridiculous. But the good news is that um, there are a lot more people who are concerned about the environment now. And so um, things are changing. The fossil fuel industry in particular is throwing a ton of money at it now because uh, they're flailing. There's, they're, they, they realize that they're starting to lose this. You know, the car EV industry is losing uh, to companies like Tesla. They see their business going there. So a lot of them are desperately just throwing huge amounts of money at it now. We're, we're watching this slow death of those kinds of things. And uh, more people care about uh, going green in particular. So small houses will, uh, like, the city we're in may start to give permits for smaller houses. You you may be able to say, well, here's an end of town over here that has a house that small, so why can't I have one where I am? 
and that's uh, you know this this city has expanded, taken on surrounding areas, uh, fifth and sixth class cities, incorporated now into one big city, and so as long as the mayor's on board, uh, they will start allowing those things. How do you think people who are encouraged to implement these things would best go about changing those realities of their communities and um, maybe even the local government's ideas? What, what ways can somebody who's not as far along in the process as you are start helping that current? Well, um, for example, when I wanted to do the wind turbines, there was no permit for it. So I found an event that the mayor was going to, and I pretty much ambushed him. And I said, you know, don't you agree that, uh, you know, that it, it could uh, help the environment here? And, and don't you care about the environment? He said, well, sure. So, um, you know, he said, listen, I'm very busy. Why don't you talk to so-and-so? So then I talked to so-and-so who passed me on. to. I got passed around about eight times till finally they realized it wasn't going to go away. I was persistent. So they said, all right, well, what do you need? And I said, I need a, a, a permit. I need an ordinance. You know, I don't want you to tell me you're going to take my wind turbines down that I have to remove them. So I want to do it legally. I want to do it safely. So make a permit and I will, you know, abide by the ordinance. And uh, I think you have to stay on uh, your your political people in the area uh, that are into that. And they will help apply pressure. And the mayor is probably the key uh, to the whole thing. And the mayor, you know, only has so much power. But you think about how cities um, can go uh, basically clean energy, whereas the uh, federal government, not so much, but it's being done on a city level. So it can be done locally, start as small as you need to, Smart. start with your neighborhood, start with getting others on board, but definitely uh, approach your key politicians until they uh, realize that this is something people want to do. Do you think that the solution could have grassroots origin? Um, by grassroots, what do you mean? Like local people who are interested forming their own communities and groups surrounding the encouragement of the movement. Like rather than you were speaking of the fossil fuel industry and there is a lot of power there, like you said. If the fossil fuel industry is too difficult to fight against, is there any credibility in action in your neighborhoods and in local communities rather than a top-down sort of thing? Well, no, I think you have to incorporate it into the existing ways. Um, so like in my neighborhood, I have so many people who saw my solar panels. They now have solar panels. I've uh, talked till I'm blue in the face and many of them changed. Most of them didn't. Um, they drive electric cars and they have solar panels on their houses now. So I did do that. But so you do that locally and then you really have to go to something up high and, and go from the top down as well. Um, in order to be effective, you can't just have a community because then the majority can turn against that community. You can find them, you know, clearing you out, shutting you down. But so you have to incorporate. For example, we found a legislator um, who voted against um the uh, rooftop solar um, in the way that they would penalize you, allowing, he basically, a lot of them take money uh, from these uh, utilities, and uh, so then they got to do what they want. So we found one in particular who was voting against it, and we said, look, you have solar panels on your house. You drive a fully electric car. Why shouldn't others be able to save money with that? You know, if you put it in that way, it's like, you know, you're this, we're your flock. You know, we're the people that you're supposed to represent. If it's good enough for you to save money, why can't we save money? It took a lot of research to find one that was actually doing that. But we found one who had solar panels and a fully electric car. And they did it because basically they were saving money. Uh, they didn't do it for any other reason. They didn't care at all about the environment. But because now you can do it and save money, You'll find people who are uh, doing it, and you'd, it'd be hypocritical for them to say, no, it's only good enough for legislators, but we can't let the regular people do it. So I think you got to appeal to the money side and say, you know, wouldn't that save the city money? Wouldn't that save the town money? Wouldn't that save the individual's money? Just as you're saving money. Now, here's one example that I experienced, because, you know, for people who don't know, I used to install solar panels, 
and one time we got maybe a halfway into the installation and we had to uninstall it because of that homeowners association some guy reported our installing solar panels and they wanted it taken down and i'm pretty sure i knew who it was i saw the guy walk by he gave us a terrible smirk i he, he had a purdue hat on that's my alma mater so i was like you're trying to talk to him about that but he was obviously very unhappy with the solar panels and uh, and what they had to do was they had to get a petition and get like at least 50 percent of the neighbors approval to install their solar panels i'm pretty sure they ended up getting uh, getting it approved but that's the type of stuff you have to do. Yeah, I, I, went, guess. I went through that in my neighborhood. Uh, the builder lived a few doors down. So we uh, I knew how this was going to go. I expected resistance. I was the first and only person they knew that did that. So um, our installation took a half a day. So I jammed it in there. I didn't ask permission. I didn't ask forgiveness. I just said, oh, we've got it done. So... The way that works with the neighborhood is if they have an ordinance on the books, which you should check out first without revealing what you plan on doing, you want to look at those ordinances online, for example, and read them. Make sure there's not one prohibiting it and then do it. So at that point, they can stop others from doing it. But you're grandfathered in because you did it while it was legal. So they were lined up in front of my house when it was all said and done. They were like, oh, there goes the neighborhood. You just you know, did that, and now you'll never be able to sell your house. Turned out we were the fastest selling house in the neighborhood, and even the builder was shocked. Um, And uh, so you really, um, you almost have to um, check the ordinances and make sure that there's not something prohibiting you already. In that case, um, basically, there was probably too much time lapsed where they started to take legal action, and the, the crowd that formed out in front of my house formed after it was done because it took a half a day to, to start from start to finish. So, you know, you want to, if there's no ordinance, you want to go for it. And others may be able to do it after you did that. In my case, once they saw, well, it doesn't really look that bad. I don't know what the problem really is. Once it was done, then they allowed others to do it too. But I think you have to just check the ordinances. If there's not a written ordinance, then you're not breaking the law until there's a written ordinance. So it, it'd be grandfathered and you'd, you'd be able to keep it. Yeah. I think a lot of the problem is that people just aren't really up to date with the technology. People, people are like, oh, that's not financially viable. It, it'll be great when it is. And people have been, you know, maybe when people were saying that 10 years ago, it made sense. But like the technology is radically different now. It is financially viable. Maybe it just happened within the past within the past 10 years. Well, in 10 years, the solar panels have dropped 80%. So even if you don't care about the environment, and I always said, I don't care why you do it. I don't care if you do it because you want to save money and you don't care about the environment. It doesn't matter. I just care that you do it. We need to move forward. So I think the price drop makes all the difference because at least half of the people who do it, uh, like I did it originally because I cared about the environment. I was willing to pay more. Turned out I started saving so much money that I passed that on and told other people. And just to save money, they did it. Like there were a lot of people that said, well, politically, you know, I understand that um, that basically you're a rebel and you, you're not supporting the what coal has done for us for all this time. And I say, I have always supported what coal has done for us. I paid every single month. I paid homage and money. I gave them, you know, the respect they deserve. But now we have the technology to do it differently. So we don't have to do that. So it was, uh, it was made, it's made political by a lot of people and politics shouldn't be in it at all because uh, everybody can save money if that's what gets you then good. If you care about the environment, then even better. You'd find a lot of people who are on the side who politically oppose clean energy. Yeah, There I was are say, people who want it. There are people who are like anti-environment. Oh yeah, they made it political and it shouldn't be political. So... Who, um, you mentioned earlier that you're finding trouble having people that help you. Who would someone want to talk to that wants to help? Would that be you? Would that be people you're in contact with? Um, How does someone who's listened to this podcast and says, I want to make a difference in the local legislature, or like you said, it has to be top down. Where does someone start to help you? I am the local guru. I help people every single day. 
I talk until I'm blue in the face. I get unfollowed on Facebook on a daily basis. I get my coworkers that don't want to hear it anymore. I get my relatives and friends and neighbors that don't want to hear it anymore. I'm not going to stop. So come to me, Daryl Cleary, C-L-E-A-R-Y. Look me up on Facebook. I will help everybody with any phase of this that, that I can. My next question would be, why do you think that people are so opposed to your ideas and or why why do they fear them i suppose why do you think that you're being unfollowed by certain people well um it's mostly people who are shall we say mature so the problem with mature people in my own age group is that they uh, become intolerant so when you're young everything's cool whatever you want to do is fine you know accepting of everything but people become intolerant so anything that isn't the way that it always was uh, must be a sin or evil or bad you know or you know you're just not appreciating coal anymore or whatever it is but um, i think people just become intolerant and um, as as you mature you become more opinionated some people never voted even until they got old and they weren't involved in politics until they got old. And so it's, it's, it's clouded by politics. And uh, I think that um, people become intolerant. So the best thing to do is to just try to, like I told my wife, I said, if, I ever, if that ever happens to me, if I ever become intolerant, tell me and I will undo it and I will go back to being the tolerant person. I mean, I'm gonna be 60 years old next year. So people in my own age group, uh, there's very few like me that are really accepting of these new ideas. So it's a fear of change. They just don't want to change. I think people also get upset that they didn't think of it first. And and they're like, well, you know, if it was such a good financial idea, everyone would have done it. I was like, someone's got to do it first. Sure. You know, it's just, that's well, just the nature of things. Also, um, many of the people who I converted, I allowed them to think that they thought of it themselves. Uh, they consulted me and they wouldn't have never even thought of it if it wasn't for me. And I don't do this for the credit. I do this for the movement. I want this to progress. So at least half of the people who I've converted, I'll hear them talking about, they'll say, and then one day it came to me and I'm like, hey, good for you. You know, so you, you know, you basically allow them to take the credit. You might even encourage them to feel the pride and, and that they thought of it themselves and that they did it all by themselves. But um, most of the people I talk to, that that was never even a thought. You know, like they'll see my fully electric car and they'll be like, oh, they really do exist? <laughs> and, you know, here we are, you know, 2019. And I'm like, yeah, my first one was in 2008, a fully electric vehicle. Yeah. So The fastest road car ever created was is <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. an electric car. The, the I, think that, uh, I think it has a lot of power and value that, I find oftentimes podcasts aside the ideas that when we're speaking, we hope the movement spreads, but action and demonstration like you've done, that you're living it, are very powerful to people. If they can see it, they can believe it. And I think that is definitely something you've done that has, yes. has made a difference. Absolutely. I've always said that because I'm living the example and I don't sell anything. I don't own any invent, uh, any stock in solar industry, none of that. I don't make any money and uh, I just get the peace of mind of knowing that I've informed somebody and that whenever they're ready, they know what to do. So yeah, it's uh, really just, you have to uh, live the example. Um, my family and I, we burn nothing. We burn no fossil fuels whatsoever and uh, you know, we. We, we can run the heat, we can run the air conditioner, we can have a good, comfortable life. We don't have to sacrifice anything. And yet we're saving money, too, It's for the other things that we want. So to dispel any misconceptions, would you say that there's anything you sacrifice with this lifestyle? Um, I get a little bit of a headache trying to explain it over and over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah. it. That's it. There, there are no sacrifices. You know, when you make a change, there's a worry period just like range anxiety. Everybody who buys a fully electric car, it's not more difficult, it's much more simple, but you'll still go through the, I don't know about this. I've been around a long time, I've never had a car like this. So there is the, uh, when you adjust, there's like a week or two of range anxiety that everybody goes through. So there is that adjustment, but it actually is far simpler, you know, to do this than uh, to do it the old fashioned way. 
Well, there's this, there's this assumption in economics that a person is rational, and it's just so far from the truth uh, because people will, they, you know, they want to buy a car and, and, you know, they don't, they're worried about the range. And it's like they never, but they're, they're worried about that. Oh, I, what if I want to take a road trip once every three years? What about then? I'm like, well, if you're going to plan your life or, around, you know, one-off circumstances that are never going to happen, then you're going to, you're going to limit yourself. Well, when I had a BMW M3 and my wife had a supercharged Jaguar, we had cars that we loved. So we added a fully electric vehicle to our fleet. Then when we were confident enough, enough, I sold my M3. So I figured we still have that, you know, so everybody should incorporate one into the herd, you know, ease it in slowly. Then when you're comfortable with it and you understand it, then you can go further if you want to, or you can stay like that. Everybody should do what they can. So incorporate some level of it in there. If you want to do a hybrid, which, you know, the hybrid technology has been out for 25 years. It was the stepping stone to 100% electric cars. So at whatever level you're comfortable with, you know, jump in. The water's fine. Get started and incorporate something in there. And then you're, you've got the backup. For example, um, when we wanted to go, uh, basically only compliance cars were made at the time. So they were about a 100 mile range. So if we wanted to go somewhere, we'd go to Enterprise, we'd give them $10 a day, we'd rent a car and we'd go on that long distance once a year, you know, trip. Uh, now their chargers are showing up everywhere where you can, you know, you can go on an app called PlugShare and you can put in your route and it'll tell you where the chargers are and where you need to stop. Your car will give you plenty of warning that it's running low. And some of them, uh, the more expensive ones, it will even tell you where the next charger is on the computer, on the car. So. Uh, it is getting far better, and uh, there's nothing to be afraid of now. At the time when I was a pioneer, it was a lot more scary. But now there's there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, well, now the Teslas are so awesome that, like, everyone wants them, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you saw the, the Model Y unveil. Yeah, yes. yeah that's going to be sick. So well, and it actually costs you less to drive an electric car than it does a gas burner. But the upfront costs seem kind of scary but you don't have maintenance, you don't have tune-ups, you don't have oil changes, you don't have to buy gas, you can plug in at the comfort of your own home. You don't even need a charger. Cars come with a 25 foot power cord. You can plug it into a regular 110 outlet. So it's actually gonna save you a lot of money, but there is more upfront cost, which- So that's a good, uh, that's sort of a good segue into a question that I have. Um, I know that there, I would say that a lot of people who would listen to this podcast certainly have the belief that the solar sustainability, that that is the right thing to do. The reservations, I think, like you said, are the change, the politics, and the other thing that comes to mind is the cost. How do you recommend somebody finance a transition into either solar panels or a solar car? How, uh, if you're just out of college and you're young, What's the best way to get started for your money? Well, um, I for solar, I created a deal. It's called the Daryl deal. And what the Daryl deal means is that you won't have to pay anything to use solar or clean energy. So the way that works is um, whatever you are paying, currently paying dirty energy, they will look at that and that's what they will charge every month. So you, you figure up an average. In our case, our average was $175 a month for the big house that we had. So they said, fine, uh, we'll make a deal where basically you give us $175 a month, no down payment, no installation cost, and then your budget's not affected whatsoever. So you do need a company that will finance it. Now, the Daryl deal is available through one company. I went through eight installers before I found one that was willing to do it. And I said, because who has twenty dollars or $30,000 to put down? you know, on a solar system, but um, you can not change your budget by paying with somebody who finances it. And then you pay from eight to 12 years, and then it's paid off on a system that's guaranteed for 25 years and lasts about 50 years. So, you know, you'll have like 40, 30 or 40 years of no payment to anybody on it. You know, that's uh, me and Evan had a discussion about this and uh, it turned, we did a lot of research, me personally, on financing loans to pay for this. 
And I did a lot of calculations that suggested to me that the monthly payment on the finance plan that I would do for a certain down payment would be half the cost of my utility bill a month. Yeah. So it, let's say that it's uh, that clean energy does not cost more than dirty energy. And as far as electric vehicles go, we found that what we were paying in gas and maintenance was equal to a brand new car payment for a fully electric car. So our uh, second fully electric car, we got brand new with six miles on it for exactly what we were paying uh, in gas and maintenance on our other car. And we got a brand new car out of the deal. Yeah, the, the solar, I mean, this this is not a necessarily like a brand new thing. It's to certainly, like you said, doesn't really exist in this part of the country, but it's all the rage right now in, in the Western states is solar leasing. And when you when you put it like that, you know, pay the same amount as your normal electric bill, like who wouldn't do that? Yeah. Um, well, and if you lease anything, it costs you more than buying it. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, if you go to a car lot and you... Um, turn in your gas burner, so that'll help a little bit. If you sell it to an individual, you get more, you know, because they're going to have to mark it up and sell it. And then if you figure um, that they will finance it, but you get a lower interest rate at the bank, so better yet, sell your car yourself, go to the bank and get the loan, and you'll find that your car payments will probably be equal to what you were spending to maintain your old clunker. But you'd have a brand new car. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited because um, during that Model Y unveil, um, he, he was saying that this is the year of the power wall and this is the year of the solar roof. So I'm really excited to see how that solar roof goes because it's been out for a while, but no one's really picked up on it. So it should be, I think that could be a game It's changer. not even in Kentucky. They won't come to Kentucky because there's not enough of us who want it. So those are solar shingles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and solar shingles... Uh, it's like the rest of this. It costs more up front, but they'll last a very, very long time. I mean, you figure how many times you have to put shingles back on a roof. So if you have uh, a new build in particular, um, you combine the cost of the roof and the cost of the power plant, and you're spending the same thing to go clean as you would to, to pollute. So Yeah, and they're um, beautiful too, which finally sets people up about yeah. But, but if nothing else, nice. if nothing else, you should add solar to your existing roof. Um, but uh, you, in, in this state, you won't find that uh, they're coming here because there's just not enough people interested. But that's that's going to change. Well, from the uh, the Daryl deal, I feel like I want to sign up for the Daryl deal. Now. <laughs> but the Daryl deal is too good to pass. Sounds very so encouraging. Everybody, including you, contact me on Facebook. And I've just got a little photograph I will send you. It's got the whole Daryl deal laid out. And it says, my promise is that it won't cost you more, that your budget will not be affected. And you can feel really good about the fact that you're not having to pollute to do it. Yeah, for people who, um, you know, like you said, like the installation would be no down payment, everything. If you're somebody who's into the environment and the sustainability aspect, which I know tons of people that I talk to in, in my generation, especially, they're very involved in that. But I think there's sort of a defeatism that they don't know what the path is. And, and that right there is a path. They also don't have any support from their parents, from the mature people. And in fact, the mature people are going to advise against it because there's a, a ton of disinformation that's out there that the uh, that dirty energy pays for they're throwing money at it and they just want to scare people away from it you know don't even consider it it's it's bad it's dangerous um, you know it's temporary it's a fad whatever so you're not going to get if you're young you're not going to find the support that you need for that unless you talk to me well, there <laughs> and, you go. Here's and a the few podcast. others like me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're listening to this podcast exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean i think Everyone at this table can attest, um, and certainly at this point, for anyone who who is you know self conscious about their ideas and other people, if if other people are doubting it, it's, you're probably on the right track. <laughs> you know? All of the, uh, a lot of the great inventors and movers of of the past, you can think of many examples, Tesla and. Um, Edison, or not Edison, uh, Einstein, Ford, exactly, They uh, Galileo, they originally met 
resistance for their ideas. Sure. And Tesla died in obscurity. Um, yes. And is now just being discovered. So, you know, there is, I would say that there's nothing wrong with trying ideas that seem to have a current against them. They can still be true. And I think in this regard, um, you know, this is one of those ideas. Well, if you think about the first uh, forms of transportation, they were all equestrian. They were all done by uh, pack animals and especially horses in particular. So what Henry Ford said was that when he made the first automobiles, people didn't want them. They wanted a faster horse. So they wanted to improve the horse, but the horse had gone about as far as it could go. So there was a lot of resistance for something that turned out to be, we all love automobiles now. So imagine, you know, the being at that stage where people were telling you, oh, no, automobiles are bad. They're dangerous. You need to, you know, just do the horse thing because that's the way we always did it. So every good change has been met with a ton of resistance, um, but you just have to research it and don't listen to just one news channel, for example, consider listening to all sides and, and really research it. Now, you know, with the World Wide Web, we have access to information from all around the world. So there's no reason why you couldn't uh, get all the information that you needed and uh, you're able to uh, make the change with confidence. Yeah, you can buy solar panels on Amazon. Absolutely, I've, yeah. I've thought about it. Um, you can buy them at Harbor Freight. I'm not sure, yeah. something that I thought would, would be something that I could do. I, I rent a house, I lease it, and there's literally no way that I can install solar panels on the roof. But I was absolutely going to buy a 500 watt solar panel and an accompanying battery for that. It would be a ground mounted system and inconspicuous enough that I think that would be within the homeowners association code, all of the above. And my intention was just to power one device at a time. If I could charge my laptop, with that battery if I could uh, power a light with that battery and, and do that myself that would be that much less energy than I'm paying each month in, in dirty energy and that's why I say you should do things like that you should get started start as small as you want but by the time you do have your own house you'll be familiar you'll be comfortable you won't have these fears and these questions you'll just be able to run with it so Here's, here's something a lot of people don't know is, is like, why, why would one um, go off the grid versus not? The typical, you know, as someone who's worked in the industry, I can tell people that if you're connected to the grid, then you are not protected from power outages just because you have solar panels. If you're connected to the grid, when the grid goes down, you go down. But also, if you, if you have batteries, which are relatively high voltage, that means you need larger wires you need to, you know, there's the cost of the batteries, depending on what type of batteries you have, they take maintenance. Um, so there, you know, there are definitely pros and cons, but I think we'll see off-grid applications becoming more popular as people have less faith in the utilities. Because right now there's a thing called net metering where you can sell your energy back for how much you would normally pay for it. But there's lots of states where they're already getting rid of that. And just essentially, it, it, that would mean in the winter um, or in the summer when you produce excess energy, you're getting ripped off for it by the utilities. And I think we're going to see that because the utilities are pissed about solar. So, I, I mean, personally for my tiny home, I considered both and I'm definitely going to have to go off grid just because, you know, might as well invest in that now instead of paying the consequences later. Yeah, so the, the net metering thing was actually a law that they go 1%, that they allow 1% of their customers to do the net metering thing before they end it. However, the local utilities decided they've had enough and they want to start penalizing you and make it uh, not feasible. So they're not going to end it. They're just going to make it to where you don't want to do it because you're not saving money like you used to be able to. So, And like you said, they used to match it $1 for $1. So now they make it to where they give you 30 cents on the dollar for that. So you wind up paying in addition to that, which for some people is still okay. It's really not that bad. But um, so basically it's not going to be feasible for very long to do the net metering thing. Um, but if you did it, then you're grandfathered in. So by the end of this year, and you, you need to have it done. You need to have your solar. You need to have your net metering and everything done for the uh, 
the, the federal subsidies are going to end. The local uh, is going to start penalizing you. They're going to start charging you a connection fee, whether you use it or not. Uh, they actually already are charging a connection fee. So um, it's going to become really not feasible. If you're going to do it, do it now. And if not, just go ahead and start making plans to go off the grid. Um, and if I get away with it, you can too. So a lot of the reason why I wanted to have solar and, and why the podcast in general is about sustainability is this feeling of empowerment as a, an individual. And I think a lot of people in the country feel disenfranchised and that they don't have any power um, literally <laughs> in this case power is power yeah imagine that so I think that being sustainable from the utilities and having your own guaranteeing your own sufficiency with power is a very empowering experience yes and because of that I think and what you've described it is it is threatening in some ways to utility companies for, for obvious reasons. Um, do you do you think that going off grid would be a way for people to feel a sense of empowerment in, in, in uh, their individual you, lives? Yes, I think energy independence, you feel good about it. And you do feel powerful because you're producing your own energy. You're not reliant. And we've become addicted to their product. And without that addiction, you do feel more powerful. And I think that um, at any level, you should, you know, get started. But it, I feel really good about it. I'm saving money. Um, I, I don't feel sorry for them. They just haven't figured out how to sell a sunshine yet. You know, if they could control the sun, they would already be doing it. They can't control the sun. They can't control the wind. They can't control the wave. And those are the only clean, safe, sustainable, renewable energy sources out there. Everything else is, if you got to burn something, it's going to make pollution. That's just an automatic response to burning something. So, you know, I, I think I do feel uh, empowered, but I also feel really good. My conscience is really clear. I, I, I just uh, feel proud also. There is no, um, I, I've done a lot of research personally about the effects of burning fossil fuels and just sort of maybe to put this discussion in perspective as a, a simple thought experiment that I've had is that fossil fuels are, maybe people say, you know, a fossil fuel is a dinosaur, right? That's the, that's the joke, like, oh, it's uh, the T-Rex is what we're burning, but... Yeah. The, uh, we are burning, it could be a small percentage of it, but really what it is is organic matter, mostly plants that have been compressed in a very specific chemical process. And that takes thousands of years. So what's happening is plants take CO2 in to build their structure and they obviously expel oxygen. I think most of us would know that is that plants breathe CO2. So when they decompose and are buried, the fuel that we're burning back is re-releasing the CO2 that those plants sequestered. So that's, I think, as a thought experiment, the fundamental reason why we have the issues we do with the climate today is because we essentially have re-burned those plants on the terrestrial surface back into the atmosphere. We undid all their work. Exactly. And another thing one of my friends said that was very insightful, said that fossil fuels were both an energy source and a battery all in one. So what a lot of people don't realize is that fossil fuels do not need a storage device. They are their own, its own storage device because it is a stable energy medium. So a lot of people don't realize how convenient that is. I suppose that's why it's been so cheap for us to use because... We don't need a storage medium for the energy it produces. And it also produ produces some order of 40 times more energy than um, other sources of, of energy. So the convenience of fossil fuels, I think, is something to put in perspective in, in this conversation with the whole solar thing. And the encouraging thing, like Daryl said, is that the Daryl deal is financially viable. It 
saves you money in the long run. And even if it was a fact that fossil fuels are so convenient, we have a solution. It's, it's today. And the sun shines every day. Absolutely. And the wind blows all the time. And the waves are constantly gum, coming in and going out. So, you know, if we built, uh, if we built a few deserts in the United States full of solar panels, and especially with concentrated sol- uh, solar, including like molten salt for energy storage, we could power the entire U.S. So if we went about this uh, seriously, we could easily uh, switch. And, uh, you know, battery cost is uh, just doing like the solar panels. It went down 80% in 10 years. Batteries are going to do the same thing. They're already going down. Now that uh, places like Tesla, the Gigafactory, is, are making their own batteries, people all around the world are making batteries. Uh, you know, we think about the first battery, the Baghdad battery, which was found, you know, the Egyptians had batteries. So really that sto- energy storage technology uh, is there and has always been there. We just have to start uh, making the switch. I had a misconception um, uh, several weeks ago. I did extensive research about multiple means of, of energy storage and the various options we have to us. One of them was hydro and you know, there's all sorts of pumped air storage. There's flywheel storage. There's thermal storage in the form of molten salts. And the reason I did this is because for some reason I had this con- conception in my mind that batteries were for some reason toxic in their usage and also disposal. And a quick Google search actually told me and just an investigation of the technology of what really a battery is, is the crazy thing is that batteries are very recyclable. We have a battery waste issue because we don't recycle batteries, but innately as a technology, they're extremely recyclable, which is that sort of switched the light on my head is why was I battling battery technology to begin with? It's it's definitely the best way of storing energy. Well, as a EV enthusiast, I get that a lot for about electric vehicles. They're like, uh, electric vehicle batteries are destroying the environment. And I'm like, no, your gas burning lead acid battery is destroying the environment because they go into landfill. To this day, not a single lithium ion car battery has ever gone to landfill. They are reused, they are repurposed, they are recycled, and the recycling is getting better and better now that we're investing just a tiny bit of money into the research and development of this. Um, So basically, uh, the only bad batteries are the ones that come from combustion engine cars, the lead acid batteries, you know, like Evan was talking about uh, how some batteries, you know, are, are big and they're expensive and they need ventilation. But, you know, you take a lithium ion battery that powers a car, and one the size of a medicine cabinet can go into your home for starting it at about six grand to power a home and it needs no maintenance. Um, it lasts for a very long time. So we're getting there very quickly now because some people are putting you know, their time and their money into it. Yeah, I think it's a, well, what people do is, is when they don't really want to change, a lot of times they'll just hate on whatever you say, even even if they know it's better, because they're looking for something that's perfect. You know, they're like, oh, we're screwed anyways, I'll carry on doing my thing, or, oh, solar has this, you know, one hiccup, like, oh, I can't, you know, power my 6,000 watt speaker off that, or, you know, they'll, they'll find whatever they want, instead of saying, oh, that is, that's better. They don't want to make baby steps to the solution, they want to, like, jump into paradise or something i think what daryl said about being mature um and growing stubborn i suppose i think that's sort of a a human thing honestly that so many of us do that and and a lot of us know that about our parents and that's always the trend right in in the 60s it's it's a it's a youthful change of a political change and the older generations are usually um, your parents, you know, oh, I wouldn't do that, you know, because we've always done it this way. But I think when you break it down into palatable steps, and I think Daryl did a great job of explaining the, maybe, you know, you take something, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of the battery? And then, you know, well, we shouldn't be afraid of a battery because it's recyclable. Um, Are you afraid of the cost? 
no because of the Daryl deal, the the financing. Are you afraid of the politics? I think that point in particular is something to look at. I think what Daryl said and, and that topic is is perhaps maybe the most um, difficult thing to to face and and really meant implementing this on a larger scale. But I think that it's important to realize that there there is sort of a doomsdayist i think maybe doomsdayism is trendy you know like people i don't know what it is people like saying that sort of thing you know like there is no solution everyone's like yeah there's there's, there's not yeah. you know well people it's easy to say it's a sound it is bite. it's very and easy. people don't they don't have unfortunately a lot of people just don't have the mental capacity or the attention span these days to have a mature conversation you know because it, it could take a few, you know it could take 10 15 20 minutes to explain you know the the finances of a solar sy- system but people don't really have the time they just want to say not not going to happen or like oh we're screwed um so yeah. yeah yeah a lot of people that I will talk to their eyes just sort of glaze over and I know I've lost them yeah and so there's only so much of that people can take at a time so I just try to keep going back and you know like you said what is your concern? And then, you know, help with the answers or, or ask them to research it or, or research it for them. But I think uh, everybody has a reason why they don't want to change and they're not getting the support of uh, people who would normally give them good advice on life, you know, like their parents and people who have been around a long time. You know, your grandparents are going to say, this is what we always did. It worked good for me. It worked good for my children and it'll work good for you. So you have to uh, advance and young people are often, uh, well, they say each generation gets a little bit smarter as we're evolving. So, um, you know, there may be something that you know that they don't know. And uh, a lot of times you can help uh, them learn too. Yeah. Well, here's here's a question I have that we've talked so much about solar. Is Do you have any plans for water uh, for your, your house build, like rainwater catchment or anything like that? Um, actually, I'm quite aware of the uh, catching... Uh, of rainwater. Um, the real problem right now is that there's nothing good um, for water disposal and you can't have a septic tank in the city. Mm. So the only alternative is to pay the water company and the water coming in is pretty darn cheap and it's already safe. Um, so you got to pay for mostly the disposal. So at this point, uh, I'm not going to pursue that. If I was living outside of the city, I could do that. But with a septic tank, for example, but that is illegal in the city are, and can't change that. So a lot of things that I've been thinking about, I mean, the, the podcast, the the premise, and, and me and Evan were talking about maybe writing a book about this, is for me it's, a, you know, power sustainability. I think Daryl gave us an excellent roadmap for power sustainability. I mean, I learned so much during this. The other four are, for me, food, water, air, shelter. What uh, Do you think there's there's value in supplementing the, let's say, watering of your lawn with with captured water, like if it's not septic. Yes, Um, and I think that is something that will work. So your gray water can be um, just put out almost in a public way. It's not hazardous. Uh, Your brown water in particular, which would be your uh, fecal matter and urine and stuff, uh, would need to go into uh, specified areas so that your uh, landscaping can benefit from it instead of using chemical fertilizers, which are so bad for the environment. So you could do that, and that would be legal. Um, it really requires an intricate system that I'm not aware of anybody who offers it yet. We may have to be the first, but um, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, the plans are out there. It's just that nobody, no builder is going to build that for right. you. Even the uh, Passive House certified people who we're talking to about building our house, which are few and far in between, there's a limit to how far they will go. Um, But uh, one individual has built a house out in uh, Norton Commons where they went ahead and put a catch basin in. Um, They didn't put the gray water dispersal or the uh, brown water dispersal, but and they are still connected to Louisville Water Company and buying all their water from them. But I tell you, if there was ever a natural disaster where they didn't have access to uh, the water company, they have their own way of collecting it and just they're not really set up for disposal. But absolutely, I love the idea of uh, sending it out um, and 
repurposing it right on your own property. So I don't know. Uh, I'm sure Evan feels the same way. Our background is our engineers. Um, I would consider myself to be an inventor, I suppose. And in a lot of these ideas, you know, we have a lot of ideas, but the background behind it is this knowledge and desire to actually build it. And we both do every, every day we've built, it's not just ideas. It's, yeah. it's actually something. And, and you spoke, you know, we might be the first ones to do it. And, uh, anyone who's, who's listening, there are myself, Evan, Daryl, we're, you know, if it is the first person to build it, we'll build it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, this podcast is obviously to, to meet people who are doing interesting things in their community. Um, but as well to let people know that you can follow us with people who don't really, you know, who like to talk about this stuff, but considering our age and, and where we are, haven't done too much of it, but are in the process of starting at zero and will hopefully, you know, be moving towards sustainability yeah. and, and, you know, very quickly hoping to move out of my apartment and into a oh, yeah. tiny house I'm building by next February. That might be a lofty goal. We'll see, but... Um, Can I add one more thing? Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> we have to prioritize it. So right now, the world is being destroyed by dirty energy. That is the most destructive thing. It's like from structures to combustion engines. That is destroying the world. Trees are great. Trees are important. They're beautiful. But right now, trees are not going to save us. Recycling is something we should all do. We shouldn't even have to think about it. It should be happening. But recycling is not going to save us. Right now, solar, wind, and wave to power our structures and to charge our 100% electric vehicles could save us. So there's this concept I've done a bunch of research about, um, and I, I don't know if you've heard of this. There's multiple YouTube videos about people who speak of a concept called energy descent. And the philosophy is that when convenient energy sources run out, we will globally have less energy to power anything. And I think that solar would be a solution to that. But in my mind, so as difficult of a reality as that will become, I think in a lot of ways the things you're speaking about aren't, they are a, a political change, but in my mind, they're sort of an inevitability. Well, we we are going to be forced into these positions because as much as a utility company would want us to continue using fossil fuels when they run out, the only choice they'll have is to charge too much for the average user to pay for it. And at that point, solar is going to gain massive Yeah, you better have your solar panels before then. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and th at that point, they will be controlling that energy as well. So if you get it now, you have your energy independence. But you're right, it's a limited resource. You know, you want to consider uh, infinite resources, not finite resources, because they're going to run out. It's not going to be tomorrow, it's not going to be real soon, and there will always be some that they can just triple and quadruple the price on and charge you more and more for, for. but as long as you're addicted to their product, you'll have to pay it. So get your energy independence, get started as soon as you can. Yeah, it's never too early to make the right decision. You know, people are like, Oh, well, I'll wait till, you know, until everyone else is freaking out about it and you'll, you'll jump on board. But the way I know, think what's, what's going to happen to solar panel prices when that's the only energy option left, they're going to skyrocket. You know, who knows? Who knows? And it's it's never too late. There's always hope. Yeah. You know, right now we can count on that. We're destroying a portion, a percentage of the planet, but the sooner we stop, the more of a percentage we have left to save. So, um, it's never too late. It, it started, everybody should do something and uh, work their way towards it and encourage your local governments especially to do it because just think about it. If the government did this first, if your even your local city government did this first, they would already have the EV thing worked out. They would already have the, the clean renewable energy thing worked out and we would just be following that example. So encourage your city, your state, uh, you know, your country you know, whatever, all levels, encourage them to do it and, and vote for people who are going to do this. Don't, I mean, make this a priority. As uh, uh, Greta says, act like the house is on fire because it is. Well, I think that's a great note to end it on. Um, so thank you so much. 
Daryl, for coming on here. And, I mean, I guess you can just let people know, contact you on Facebook, right, if they yeah, have any what's, questions. Yeah, uh, what's the best way to reach out to you? Facebook is the best way. So, uh, D-A-R-Y-L-C-L-E-A-R-Y. There are two Daryl Clearies. I'm the guy with the baseball cap. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you.